0: Welcome aboard David Essel Live, America's Positive Radio Talk Show, celebrating 23 years on the air. So glad that you're with us, America's Positive Radio Talk Show, every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, and we have an amazing lineup. Coming up, Dr. Bernie Siegel. Bernie's going to be back with us talking about near-death experiences, and as a matter of fact, we got a text in just a little while ago from someone who was there. Who went through a near-death experience, and I can't wait to talk to to Bernie. Share this with him and get his feedback on it. Are they figments of our imagination? I mean, could it be possible that a near-death experience is something we just create in our brain, or are they real? We'll find out from the expert, Bernie. Um, if you want to call us, talk to us during the show. It's one eight hundred five four eight talk. One eight hundred five four eight talk. If you'd like to text us during the show, nine four one. 266 7676. 941 266 7676. Proud to be part of the iHeart Premier Clear Channel radio network here every Saturday. Doing what we do best, bringing you information to help you radically change your life. Bernie Siegel, Dr. Bernie Siegel, author of, of many books, including The Art of Healing, Uncovering Your Inner Wisdom and Potential for Self Healing. Bernie, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, David. A pleasure. Yes. Hey, dis- define near death experience. Before I go to the text that came in, Bernie, define near death experience. Well,
1: let me tell people first so they know my experience, and yeah. then I will get into what I think is happening and why it happens. Matter of fact, someone, I can't remember her name now, I wrote a forward to it. Uh, the title of the book was We Don't Die. But you mm-hmm. have to define what is we. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. our bodies die. But are we something more than our bodies? And I was four years old many years ago, <laughs> so this was not a subject that was in the newspapers or anywhere else. Um, and there were carpenters in our house repairing something, and in those days they put the nails in their mouth and they would pull them out one at a time to hammer them in. Sure. And I was in my bedroom sitting on the bed with a toy telephone and some other toys, and I thought, hey, I'll be like a carpenter. And I'm sure they don't make these toys that way anymore, but the dial was held in with So I unscrewed it and took the washer and the, you know, the screw and put them in my yeah. mouth to imitate yeah. them. And then I aspirated them, and it landed on my vocal cords to try to make it clear to people who don't know anatomy. When something's yeah. your vocal cords, they slam shut. Because they're trying to protect you and not, you know, let things get down into more trouble. But, of course, when they slam shut, no air can go in. Mm -hmm. And my ribs, my diaphragm, I mean, it was one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. You don't forget Mm -hmm. it. Are are Mm -hmm. sucking as hard as they can, trying to get air in and save my life and nothing. And then suddenly is the only way I can describe it. I don't know. You know, if you said how many minutes, who knows? You're in pain. But suddenly, yeah. I realized, I don't hurt anymore. I'm fine. And then the realization was, yeah, you're fine because you're not in your body anymore. Wow. The boy on the bed. See, and that was another interesting thing. Whenever I would describe this, I wasn't dying, if you know, can understand what I mean. Yeah. I yes, was I out of my body. The kid sure. was, you know, the boy was dying the body was dying but that wasn't me and here i am the way i put it floating up you know uh, above the bed looking down and feeling wonderful wow the other thing you see the other thing that we have evidence of and and even books about it one called mind sight um people born blind what do you think happens when they leave their body they see again Right. Now, right. that's not a trick in the brain. Uh, so he put a collection together in this book of people born blind who had near-death experiences and auto accidents and a whole host of things. And I always remember reading one about what happened during the fall, and the guy couldn't believe the beauty of, mm. that he saw when he was wow. out of his body. And he yeah. felt like I did. Um, what happened was, when I say he felt like I did... I was thinking, too, it never occurred to me again, how can you think? You don't have a brain. You're not in your body. But again, I thought this was a common occurrence. You know, I'm four years old. I figured (laughs) this is what happens to everybody when they die. You know, I'm not debating what is going on. It's just, okay, it happened. And I always say I live by my experience, not what I believe or don't believe. I Mm -hmm. live by what I experience. Because I know it's true, even if I can't explain how it happens. But anyway, I was thinking, which, again, I have dealt with other kids who have had this happen, and you all have that same feeling. Yeah, I'd rather be dead, but I feel bad. My parents will find me dead, and I, I really don't want to hurt their feelings. And that's wow. what's going through in my mind, you see. Okay. I prefer being okay. out of my body. It's a hell of a lot more interesting and exciting. Right. And yet, oh, this is going to be terrible. My mother's going to come in because she was home in the kitchen, uh, pregnant, and uh, didn't Mm. hear me. And so she's in the kitchen, and she'll walk in, find me dead. But, hey, you know, that's what I prefer. Then the kid on the bed had seizures. He convulsed and vomited and regurgitated stuff, and that dislodged these pieces of metal, And he took a breath. And as soon as he took a breath, the only way I can describe it is, it was like I was sucked back in like a vacuum cleaner would suck you up.
0: Okay, gotcha. You know, a piece
1: of dirt. I mean, I I didn't want to go back, but I had no choice. It was like, you know.
0: And then I remember
1: thinking, damn it, I guess I'm not in charge. And I really remember thinking, there must be a God and I'm not supposed to die today, you know, that God makes a schedule, and I'm not supposed to die today, so there's no use arguing and fighting. And then in, of course, came my mother hearing, you know, the seizure, the vomiting, and she came running into the bedroom, and I can tell you, this was not a time to have a nice, interesting discussion with your mother, (laughs) you know? I mean, (laughs) because there are other, there's a book called Heaven is for Real that came out, last year, where, yeah. again, a four-year-old, I think, died, he was about to have a pen- appendectomy or something, um, and he told his father what happened. He had a near-death experience. The father thought the kid's nuts, but the kid sure. told him so many truthful things about people the child had no idea about, in other words, meeting right. them, you know, right. whether you call it right. heaven or not, but meeting them. And uh, so, again, I had no chance to discuss this interesting thing with anybody, just accepted it on a fact, and off we went. And, you know, my feeling today is it's almost like my angel did a Heimlich maneuver, you know, the vomiting, and now things were coming up instead of trying to be sucked in, and, uh, you know, I wasn't supposed to die, and so here I am. But (laughs) it's something that just stayed in my mind. I didn't really talk about it to lots of people at all. It was just Mm -hmm. something I lived and experienced. And then, of course, in the, in the last few years is, well, more than just a few years, but this has become, you know, a really interesting subject. Oh. And again, it's when people aren't afraid. Um, what's his name? My friend Dr. Larry Dossey.
0: Sure. Uh, has
1: a new book out, too, called One Mind, where he's also talking about consciousness. But one of the kicks I got was he was giving a lecture, and he was talked about a near-death experience. And a doctor in the audience got up and said, I am a cardiologist. I've never had any of my patients talk to me about a near-death experience. You know, I can't believe this. He mm-hmm. sits down. A man in the audience gets up and says, I am your patient. I have had a near-death experience. Do you think I'd feel comfortable talking to you about it? <laughs> you see? And oh that's God. what I found. that when yes. I be- See, I began to question patients about these things. And they would always, no, no, no. Then they began to realize he isn't a normal doctor.
0: Right. Right.
1: And then... Hey, Bernie,
0: Bernie, wait. We've got to go to a quick break. we got to go... We're going to come back with Bernie Siegel. Dr. Bernie Siegel is with us right now. BernieSiegelMD.com. BernieSiegelMD.com. The name of one of his many books is The Art of Healing. We're going to come back and talk more about near death experiences Dr Eben Alexander we've had on the show recently came out with a book about his own near death experience then I'll read a text from one of our listeners listening to us right now and their experience our website talkdavid.com I'm David Essel stay right there I'm
2: If you close your
0: eyes, does it almost feel like nothing changed at all? And if you close your eyes, does it almost feel like you've been here before? You're tuned in to David Essel Live, America's positive radio show. Like us on Facebook and listen to hundreds of inspirational archive shows at talkdavid.com. Now here's your host, Mr. Motivation, David Essel. Ah, Coast to coast every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, toll-free 1-800-548-TALK, text 941-266-7676, broadcasting out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California. Welcome aboard, gang, my guest, Dr. Bernie Siegel. Berniesiegelmd.com. We're talking about near-death experiences, Bernie. This is in from. This just came in a text from one of our listeners a little bit ago. Um, David. Yes, I had life after death. Four minutes after a car accident, I was called forth to see my grandfather, who had passed on before. He said, "Go back." Does that ring a bell to you? That that someone is passed over, and and then then there's an angel, or in this yeah. case the. I mean, I've had all these
1: experiences. I said, once patients felt comfortable talking to me, and some of my patients were mystics. In other words, I had a blind diabetic patient who had a cardiac arrest, was resuscitated, and told his wife he was out of his body, and she said, honey, you're nuts. He said, yeah, you got a green dress on. You were sitting in the corner of the room. Tell the doctor his pen is under the bed. It fell out while he was resuscitating me. (laughs) Then the wife looked at me like, oh, my God. You see, so lots of times families would come in saying, my mother's a little crazy, and I'd come out after examining her saying, oh, your mother's really wonderful, because they would tell me all these stories that the family (laughs) thought was crazy. And, you know, so again, and the other was I had a patient who was a mystic, and she came in the office one day. She said, Bernie, now that I know you're not a normal doctor, we had a session last night. We asked for a message for you. Here it is from Frank. If I'd known it has been this easy, I'd have bought the package a long time ago and never have resisted so much. Now, Frank Mm -hmm. was a doctor who was in our cancer support group who had died shortly before this message. I called his wife. I said, I don't want to upset you, but I have a message from Frank. And I told her. And she said, oh, my God. I said, did I disturb you? No, she said. Every time we left your meeting, he would say, I can't buy the package. Wow. Now, one more story, then if you want to move on. Yeah. This mystic friend doesn't know my family or any of these patients, okay? And she calls me one day, Bernie, your folks are together again, and they're being shown around by someone who likes coffee and cigarettes. Now, my mother had just died, so I know what she's talking about. My parents are together again. I also, Elizabeth Kugler-Ross was a good friend of mine. Sure. And I knew Elizabeth loved coffee and cigarettes. And, mm. and you know, Monica is the name of this woman, didn't know who it was, so she just described this woman. And then she said, oh, oh, it's Elizabeth Kuhler-Ross. Uh, yeah, I know. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> and that, again, is no coincidence. I mean, here's somebody right. who doesn't know me, my personal life, and calls me about my parents and Elizabeth. Um mm. So those are the things that make me a believer. And I hear voices, too. See, it's the consciousness that doesn't die. When we talk about past lives, what we're talking about is you and I are impregnated by the consciousness that existed before us. So you could become, you know, an opera singer and start playing the piano when you're four years old. And people say, where the hell's that coming from? It's the consciousness. Right. So I have heard voices when the day my father was going to die, say, how did your parents meet? When I say voices, I'm running down the street exercising, and a voice says, how did your parents meet? I don't know. Well, ask your mother when you get to the hospital. To make a long story short, my mother's first story was, your father lost a coin toss and had to take me out. And he (laughs) died laughing because of stories. Now, where did that come from in my mind? Uh, You know, so, again, I've had so many of these experiences And I'll just tell you why I'm a surgeon had to do with killing with a sword in a past life. I'm not going to the horrible details that left me crying for hours when a friend said over the phone. See, I didn't go seek a psychiatrist, you know, or a past life therapist. My friend on the phone said, Bernie, why are you living this life? Because I was telling her how many interviews and lectures I was doing. Bernie, why are you living this life? I went into a trance. And I said to her, my God, I got a sword in my hand. And then the whole thing was like watching a movie. It was one of the most painful experiences I've ever Mm -hmm. had. But you know, Bernie,
0: when when you come back, I want to spend more time talking about past life, past life regression, the benefits of it, all that kind of stuff. But we've got about two and a half minutes left today. And I want to ask you this question. What do you think in, in regards to near death experiences by themselves, What do you think the overall purpose for humans to have them are? Well, I'd
1: say what it teaches us is that we are not just physical entities, you know, that we are connected with the past, with creation, and that if we all, what I call it, go to school and go up in grades, then we will create a better future, you see, because if our consciousness level rises, then... The people who are born after we go will have a higher consciousness level. So instead of being fourth graders, they could be in college and create a world free of all the horror that's existing now.
0: Mm. Mm. There's, You, you know, in, 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 I mentioned Dr. Eben Alexander. Yes. Are you familiar? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. So when we, when we had Eben on before talking about his near, near-death experience, Bernie, here's something, and, we, and we've got two minutes now, but here's something that's amazing to me. And even in your voice, when you were talking about your near-death experience, when Eben was talking about it and other people that have gone through it, there is a softness when people talk about their near-death experience. Yeah. You had a softness in your voice.
1: Right. Because you can feel that experience again, if you know what I mean. And it, you, it transcends you. I mean, I've learned that my journey on this earth and a patient dying, began to call me Journey instead of Bernie, um, is to become a more spiritual human being. I shaved my head. I realized from reading Jung, it's what monks do to uncover spirituality. So my whole life, I suddenly realized, was this search. And all these experiences, you know, are not a coincidence that they've been part of that search and helping me to find that spiritual nature and essence.
0: Yeah, because, you know, I I love this conversation, Bernie, because you have so much passion and energy for what you do. And yet when we go into the conversation about your spiritual path and your near-death experience, there's a whole shift in your consciousness that myself and every listener around the country can feel if we're conscious. You know what I mean?
1: You're lifted, in a sense, above the level of physical being and what's good or bad, and, you know, did I pay the rent, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the car won't start. I mean, you, you really realize there's another level that we're living at, and that, well, let me put it this way. I learned from Henry Newen he, in his book. He talks oh, about sure. a professor who said, my life was always being interrupted until I realized the interruptions were my life. Mm. That's what I've learned. The interruptions Beautiful. are my life. And when I live with them and handle them, then everything moves forward.
0: Dr. Bernie Siegel, author of many books, including The Art of Healing, Uncovering Your Inner Wisdom and Potential for Self-Healing. The topic, listen, if you have friends that are interested in near-death experience, but they couldn't tune in right now, let them know that after 9 p.m. Eastern time tonight, the interview that I just did with Bernie Siegel will be at our website, talkdavid.com. This is a huge topic. It's an important topic. As Bernie just said, it helps us all raise our own level of consciousness when we go into these conversations. Bernie's website is BernieSiegelMD.com Bernie, we're going to get you back it's always a blast to have you with us
1: Thank you, I'll keep coming
0: back <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we love that Have a great weekend, Bernie right. bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye Our toll-free number, 1-800-548-TALK Coming up next, Rachel Luna author of Successful People Are Full of Crap This is an ex-Marine she's going to be on a best-selling author and more Our website, TalkDavid.com Stay right there that came that stopped me on a dime. Huh, because I'm happy, love
2: alone. If you feel like a room without a roof, because I'm happy, love alone.
0: You're tuned in to David Essel Live, America's positive radio show. Like us on Facebook and listen to hundreds of inspirational archive shows at talkdavid.com. Now here's your host, Mr. Motivation, David Essel. Uh, Coast to coast for the past 23 years, America's positive radio talk show. Saturdays, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, one 800 548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK. Proud to be part of the iHeart Premier Clear Channel Radio Network. Welcome aboard, gang. Text us during the show, 941-266-7676. We're going to talk right now about asking for what you desire out of life, life, asking for what you want out of life, finding the courage, the strength to go after and to say that you are worth it. And we also have to look at the opposite. Like, why don't we? What is it that holds the average person back from living the life that they desire? We've got an expert. Rachel Luna is with us, author of the book. <laughs> I love the title Successful People Are Full of Crap. Now, this is a woman who's a former U.S. Marine, motivation coach, currently, author, and so much more. Rachel, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, now. What's going on?
0: <laughs> and a proud New Yorker, right?
2: Oh, through and through all day long. <laughs>
0: Rachel, I got to tell you something interesting. I, I grew up in Syracuse, New York, and I went to Syracuse University. And um, and this is a New Yorker story, and it's totally tied into your philosophy about being real, being strong, being bold. And I remember growing up in, in the middle of the state of New York is that we were very codependent. <laughs> you
2: know, we, were,
0: we, we We were extremely codependent people, and yet 85% of the students from Syracuse University are from Long Island, New York, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And, and my first introduction to an independent thinker were students, and you know, I, I'll just give an example. You ask a girl out and she says no, and you're going, what do you mean no? In my high school, they would say yes just to be nice. <laughs> and, you, you know, you know and, and and at first I was offended with how honest New Yorkers were and how they asked for what they wanted and how if a sandwich came and it wasn't correct, they'd send it back. And that was never a way we were raised. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, totally. And actually, my husband, he grew up um, in Mexico, but went to school in Calexico. He's like a border kid. and And I am that way. If it's not right, I send it back. I want what I want when I wanted. I don't want to negotiate. And he, he, in the beginning, when we first started dating, he'd get so embarrassed. Like, why do you do that? Why can't you just eat it? Because that's not what I asked for.
0: I'm not right. paying for
2: something I didn't ask for. So I totally get it. And I have, um, as I've lived, I mean, I've lived all across the world, being in the Marine Corps and, and in different countries. So I have gotten the looks from people like, oh my goodness, you're so bold. You're so blunt. You keep it so real. And it's like, well, life is too short to not be real. So you damn skippy. I'm going to tell you how it is Um, with love. You know, I don't think I'm ever rude about it. I don't give people attitude and I don't, um, for sport, get the New Yorker attitude. But um, I will very politely say, oh, you know, excuse me. Sorry, that's not right. That's not what I ordered. Yeah. Yeah. Now, why? let me
0: ask you this, because this is your strength. This is in your wheelhouse. Why is it that people do not ask for what they want?
2: I think part of it comes from our culture and what we're taught as kids. And so, you know, part of that is disciplining. I remember when I was a kid, my mom, before I went anywhere, gave me the speech, don't you dare ask for anything don't ask for food, don't ask for drinks. And I think, you know, at least for the people in in my generation, you know, the 30s, 40s and, and older, our parents sort of grew up with parents who were part of the Great Depression and so they were very conscious of don't try to take people's rations. Don't try to overstep wow. and, and take what others have. So at least, you know, in my world, in my circle, we were really raised that way. Don't you ask for what you want. But I think the other thing goes with um, people don't want to come across as needy or dependent, right? So that's mm-hmm. another thing. Is right. like, I want to do this on my own. I don't want any handouts. I don't want anyone to say that, that they helped me. And then, right. and, you know, a third component, and again, it just depends on, on where you grew up and how you grew up, but a third component is I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to yes. ask for what I want and then be told no and be and feel like crap because, you know, they turned me down.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now now you have, you've got stories of Mm -hmm. clients you've worked with that you have helped them to create success in life by going after what they want. Tara, go ahead and and talk about eight new clients in 24 hours.
2: Yeah, and actually, so she and I talked the other day, and it was actually more like 14 in 24 hours. I don't know why the number eight stuck in my head, but it was more like 14. So Tara, Tara is, um, a former client. She's also one of my closest, closest friends. And this girl was on a mission. She was up against the wall, the wall. Time was not her friend and she needed, you know, every client that she got was going to count as points towards a goal that she had. And I remember she and I spoke and she said, I'm just going to give up. Like, it's not going to happen for me. I only have eight hours. and Or, you know, it was like eight hours for the deadline. And I am just the type of person of, you better don't. You're not giving up until the last minute. Now, I will be honest and tell you, sometimes I need someone to say that to me too. And I think yes. we all need people like that in our life. Yeah. Because there are moments when I personally feel like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't. I don't want to go the extra mile, particularly mm-hmm. for me when I'm working out, even though I'm a former Marine. Like, sometimes Mm -hmm. I really need someone to say, keep going. But anyway, so so T and I, I said to her, you know what? Come to my house. I'm going to play some pump you up music because that's one of the things I love to do is create soundtracks for people. So I had created this track. I said, come on. I'm going to play this music. We are going to come up with a plan. We are going to craft scripts. And for this group of people, this is what you're going to ask them. For this group of people, this is how we're going to approach it. And for this third group of people, this is what you're going to say. Because the thing is that you can't just blindly ask everybody for what you want. You really have to be thoughtful about it. You always have to answer what's in it for them. You have to um, make it personal for them. Like, why do they care? Why should they want to help you? Why should they give you the yes? It's like, um, it's even like, even if you're not an entrepreneur, when you were back in corporate America trying to get a job, when you sent out that resume, the best resumes are those that are specific and tailored for that position with that Mm -hmm. company. That's what employers are looking for. And so the same thing is whenever you're out there asking for what you want. So she and I got super specific. We created this script. She got on the phone, I started emailing people, she started emailing people. Um, My husband, God bless his heart, he took care of all four kids, because she had two and I have two, and, and we just did, we did the thing. And it was amazing because some of those people were not interested in what she was selling, but they did it because they wanted to help her. Because she just asked, she said, look, this is what I'm trying to do. I need some support. Would you be interested in helping me? And if so, this is how you can help me. And people said yes. An overwhelming amount of people who initially were not interested in what she had to offer said yes, simply because she asked and it was a way for them to help her.
0: Now, Rachel, let me ask you a question. Did, did this, like, it, it, you followed Tara afterwards. Did this mm-hmm. stick with her? Like, what you and her did during that one time? Has she repeated it? Has she gone ahead and continued to use this, this plan in the future? Because sometimes we can get all excited and then fall back to our old habits, right?
2: Yeah. So here's the unique thing about Tara. The fact that she needed my help and she needed that push to create the plan that was something that was out of the ordinary for her because she's actually the go-getting type of person. Mm. And so she was the flip of what another, you know, other people would be like. Um, Right.
0: Hey... Rachel, you know what? I'm going to have to ask you to, to hang right there. We're going to a quick break, and we're going to come back with Rachel Luna, author of the book, Successful People Are Full of Crap. Visit her website, rachelluna.biz, rachelluna.biz, Luna.biz. When we come back, we'll talk more about asking for what you want, more examples of clients of Rachel's in network marketing, corporate America, and so much more. You're tuned into America's Positive radio talk show, David Essel, alive. our website, TalkDavid.com. Stay right there. You're tuned into David Essel Alive, America's Positive Radio Show. Like us on Facebook and listen to hundreds of inspirational archive shows at TalkDavid.com. Now, here's your host, Mr. Motivation, David
2: Essel.
0: Ah, coast to coast for 23 years. Welcome aboard America's Positive Radio talk show, David Essel Alive. Toll free, 800 548 Talk. Text us during the show, 941. 266-7676, proud to be part of the premier clear channel, iHeartRadio Network. My guest, Rachel Luna, rachelluna.biz is her website, Rachel rachelluna.biz is the site, name of the book, Successful People Are Full of Crap. Hey, uh, Rachel, just before the break, we were talking about your client, Tara, 14 clients you helped her script out, ask for the business, 14 clients in less than 24 hours and my question to you was 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 this something she was able to continue and you had yeah. said that she was a go-getter but she needed your help in this one instance
2: mm-hmm. yeah and you know what she has been able to I think that that one day for her was the sort of the billboard I guess to remind her that she will never put herself in that situation again she'll never doubt again and because the, what we were able to achieve together, she, man, that girl is a go getter. To this day, right. she is still asking for what she wants on a daily basis. I mean, she's a powerhouse. It's incredible to watch her in action. And, um, you know, it's a great testimony for any of us who struggle, who, who think like, oh, I, this is never going to happen for me. Like, Whenever you look at people who are doing something that you want to do, remember, they're human just like you are. They do have their weak points. She had her weak moment. We fixed it. We nipped it in the butt. She's back on top. And the same thing can happen for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How do you help people? Could you give us some simple steps to help people to deal with rejection in business, rejection Mm -hmm. in love? Give us some thoughts, Rachel.
2: So the first thing that I always say to people is don't get emotionally attached. To the outcome, because that's what hurts us about rejection, is because we're so caught up. And I really want them to say yes. I really want them to love me. I really want this to happen. Because if this, then that. And you cannot focus on the if this, then that. Instead, you. What I tell people is, look at all the possible outcomes that can happen. Maybe they say yes. Maybe they say no. If they say yes, you have to be at peace with that. If they say no, you have to be at peace with that. So, you know, the example I always give is I had, for many years, extreme fear of flying, and my fear was that I would die in a plane crash. I to now, make- wait a minute.
0: you were, as a, w- were you afraid of flying as a Marine?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Terrified. Um, in fact, the safest flight, the, the safest time I ever felt on a flight, this is going to sound really crazy, um, was when I was, flying to and coming back from Iraq because we had um, our weapons with us on the plane. Don't ask me why I felt so secure <laughs> with my M-16, but I felt very secure. Anyway, wow. so so that's one thing that I will say. The other thing is to really become naive and ignorant to the possibility of rejection because when you allow yourself to not even think about Well, they may say no, then you are really opened up to go for more. So let me tell you one way that for me, I I get comfortable with the outcome. You know, this is the way that I let go of my emotional attachments. I think to myself, okay, if this does not pan out, is this the end of the world? If they say no, if the door closes, is there a window that I can go through? And then I also ask myself, if they say no, what does that mean about me? Because that's what usually we're holding on to. If I get right. rejected, what does that say about me? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say anything about me. It just says that they're not ready. They don't see how freaking amazing I am, and that's yeah. their loss.
0: Yeah. Rachel, it just, it just shows us that they're losers.
2: <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Those fools. How dare That's they? That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, Wait. hey, I, I, I've got to ask you this because I, I'm I'm fascinated, and I know the audience would love to know this too. What, a, a, as your experience as a Marine, how has that helped you in the world of business?
2: Okay. Well, first of all, in the Marine Corps, contrary to what people think, you don't just start off running the show and being badass. So, in the Marine Corps. The first couple of years, you're the grunt. You are, you do whatever they say. Excuse me. Um, so I will tell you that being in the Marine Corps did not help me at all to be in corporate America or to be in the real world. In fact, it hindered me because as I grew up in the ranks of the Marine Corps, I had people and I could talk to them however I wanted to get the mission done. It's not like that in the real world. In the real world, you have to be a little more sensitive. You cannot be as abrasive. Um, mm-hmm. there's a little more politics, I guess. There's a lot of politics in the military as well. But, but yeah. what it did help me do was it taught me how to be an effective leader. And it taught me the difference between a leader and a manager and how to motivate versus how to give orders. And so <laughs> the difference, and um, my very good friend is um, John Estrada. He's the 15th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. And I, I respect him deeply. And he and I had a great conversation about the difference between a leader and a manager. And a leader is someone who takes the time to learn the strengths of the people on their team. And a leader takes the time to get to know the people. A manager is just trying to tell people what to do. But a mm-hmm. leader can get, get people to see their vision and execute their plans to bring that vision to light. And so for me, I I always took that, and I'm still learning how to be an effective leader. I think that leadership is one of those things that you're always learning. And if you think you're an amazing leader and you don't need to learn anything else, then you're probably not an amazing leader.
0: (laughs) Amen to that. Well, I think one of the things that we look at when we see people who, no, no matter where they are, that want to get up to the next level is we call it that they're teachable that mm-hmm. they're, co- they're coachable, you know, at every mm-hmm. level. And, and when, you, when, you know, when we look at pe- interviewing the top people in any field, doesn't matter if it's spirituality, Rachel, or money, or whatever it might be, is that all of them are curious and opening, open to learn. Mm-hmm. And isn't that what a, what a key leader has to be able to show, right?
2: Yes. And, you know, another thing is that a leader has to be willing and open to hearing ideas from someone who is their junior, who maybe has less experience, who maybe is new to the team. Those are the people that you should be listening to the most for two reasons. One, they come to the table with a fresh new perspective. And two, you're empowering them. And when you do that, they in turn become better leaders. And so it's a way for you to serve the people that are serving you.
0: I love it. I love it. Rachel, we've got about a minute and a half left. End us, send us off of this interview today with some more ideas on how people can become more successful in a minute and a half. Go.
2: All right. So the way that you become absolutely unequivocally successful is by, number one, being consistent. That is one thing that I stress. Be consistent. Whatever you say you're going to do, do it. If you say you're going to show up every Monday, you better show up with your A-game. Number two, do not wait for perfection. It never comes. Do the best that you can and put it out into the world because you never know you could change someone's life with that one post that is not perfectly grammatically correct. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. And then number three is become ignorant and naive when it comes to rejection. Pretend that it doesn't exist. Don't worry about that. Go and ask for what you want. If you do not ask, this is so cliche but so true, the answer will always be no. Now, I do want to say one last thing. When you're asking, don't just blindly start asking people for anything and everything. Do your homework, learn who your audience is, and first approach them with a spirit of service. If you give the best that you can if you show them that you're valuable, people will more likely say yes to you.
0: I love it. Rachel, exceptional. Listen, for all of our audience right now, if you have friends and family members that you know could benefit from listening to Rachel's wisdom about asking, the importance of asking, how to be a leader and more, let them know that this interview will be archived at our website after 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. The interview I just did here with Rachel will be on our website, talkdavid.com. That's talkdavid.com after 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. So get them to listen. We can all learn from her experience. Experiences. Rachel Luna biz is the website. Rachel Luna biz. Rachel, I loved it. It was awesome having you on. Thank, Thank you a you. ton. God.
2: Thank mm. you. It was such an honor, David. My pleasure.
0: All right. And you you guys have a great weekend, okay?
2: You do the same. Take care now. Bye-bye.
0: You bet. Bye-bye. Rachel Luna biz. Rachel Luna biz. Rachel Luna biz. Rock it out with Rachel Luna. Hey, coming up, we've got more. We've got Christina Rasmussen, author of the book, Second, first, live, laugh, and love again. You're going to love her as well as all the guests that we've had on today. Our website, talkdavid.com. Much more to come, gang. Stay right there.